Hello, you're listening to Tax Talk, a podcast series from the Irish Tax Institute, which explores current issues in the world of taxation. I'm your host, Samantha McCochran. So just under a year ago, the government appointed an independent commission to consider how our tax and welfare systems could best support economic activity and increased employment and prosperity. It's also considering how we can ensure that the Exchequer collects enough revenue to meet the costs of public services in the medium and longer term. To help in its deliberations, the Commission sought the views of the public and, as you would expect, the Tax Institute was among those to make a submission. It runs to 80 pages and makes 40 recommendations. To discuss some of the themes in the Institute's submission and the practical politics of tax and welfare reform, I'm joined by Brian Brennan, Council Member of the Institute, who chaired the working group on the submission, Donald de Butler, who served as Secretary to a previous Commission on Tax back in the early 80s, and Donald also worked on the Institute's submission, and Lucinda Creighton, a former Minister for State at the Department of the Taoiseach, who now heads up her own government and regulatory affairs firm, Vulcan Consulting. You're all very welcome. So Brian, we won't go through all 40 recommendations, but there are a few running themes about broadening the tax base and competitiveness, which are, you know, throughout the uh, submission. Which recommendations are top of your list? Yeah, um, well, I suppose... In starting off, right, like as you know, Ireland, Ireland is an open economy, right, competing in the international marketplace for investment and talent. And I suppose as part of the submission, one of the things we were com- conscious of was that, like, to succeed in the environment, the country needs to maintain its attractiveness across a, ro- a wide range of areas, such as access to talented people, cost competitiveness, and market access. So, in this context, it's crucially important that Ireland's tax system attracts and retains businesses and people here. So, in our submission, we made a number of recommendations on improvements that can be made to the tax system to respond to what we believe will be the key challenges and opportunities facing Ireland in the next 10 to 15 years. These would include the significant changes to the global tax landscape, the departure of the UK from the EU, accelerated digitalisation of the economy, climate change and the increasing importance of retaining and attracting talented and skilled people in Ireland. Okay, and Donald, what would you think are the main themes arising in your eyes uh, from the submission? Well, I think, I think an important part of the context is that over the next, say, 10 years, um, the public finances are going to be under uh, a bit of pressure. Uh, corporation tax may fall by $2 billion. Uh, we have to meet the cost of ageing because of those numbers. The state pension is costing a billion extra every five years. We now know we're going to have to spend more on defence, uh, brought home very starkly to us in the last uh, while. And then we have the cost of salon to care. So we're going to have a bigger state and a, and a higher tax burden. And I suppose the question is, how can we maintain our attractiveness as a, of the tax system to foreign direct investment into productive activity here? while facing that reality that we're going to raise more tax. And um, the submission has a number of suggestions in there. <clears throat> you know, reform of the PRSI system is a big, is a big issue. And also, um, there's very significant scope for changing the VAT system to raise more money. So the, the background, as you outlined there, is... Uh, greater uh, demands on the on the exchequer and Lucinda, you know it's it's all part of this whole discussion about uh, the bigger state and and as Donald mentioned, their health defence, um, completely changing in the last couple of years. Our, our our view towards that. Do you think this whole theme of bigger state is going to continue, or is it something that we're sort of reacting to now, given the last couple of years that we've had? Um, that's a really good question. I think. Um, I mean, on the one hand. 
you know, I suppose we've seen unprecedented levels of effectively of quantitative easing from the ECB. So, you know, money has been cheap for a very long time, really since the crash. Um, and that's not going to continue forever. Um, but at the moment, we sort of we're nearly behaving as though it will, you know. So I think there will be a reality check. Um, and I think it's probably coming pretty quickly, probably more quickly than we might have anticipated because of inflation, um, which is beginning to bite. And then obviously because of the massive knock-on effect we can expect from the Ukraine crisis, uh, energy crisis, and all of the impact uh, on pretty much every sector of the economy arising from that. So we're in a very changed environment, even in the last few weeks. Um, but there is certainly, I think there's a demand for quality public services. Um, and, you know, there, I, I think we've we've seen and heard a lot of analysis about, you know, the difference between spending a lot more and actually, you know, delivering a better value and better efficiency. And I think that, that the emphasis was on that maybe 10 years ago, perhaps moved on as the economy rebounded. I think we're going to go back to focusing on that again. So, a lot of questions. I think people really do demand um, a high standard public services, but that doesn't necessarily mean just, you know, exponentially increasing spending. I think, um, you know, taxpayers' money is going to become a very uh, sort of valuable um, um, commodity for, for government in, 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 the, in the months and years ahead. And Ryan, you know, you mentioned some of the... Uh key themes uh, that are that are that, that are also playing very much into the submission around global tax uh, corporate tax rate changes and Brexit and other factors like that you know the public meeting and stakeholder engagement sessions um took place earlier this month what are the main points arising in relation to SMEs because you know a lot of people listening today that's their their clients are SMEs and they're very keen to to see what where 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 the, where the thought process is going and all this yeah, I suppose w w certainly one of the key themes coming out for SMEs was the whole thing around the cost of business and the I suppose the cost of of taxes uh, and the fact that you know w one of the things that the pandemic has kind of brought upon businesses that people can, you know, mobile talent is even more mobile than what it ever was before. And people can just relocate very easily to foreign countries. And one of the things for Ireland is looking at its marginal rates of income tax. And, you know, I, I know there's talk about looking at uh, our rates of social security and the fact that when you compare our Ireland's rates of social security to a number of EU countries, it's a lot lower. Obviously, Ireland doesn't cap out its uh, rates of social security, whereas other countries do. So definitely one key theme is around the cost of employing people, the cost of income taxes. There's a number of other factors that were mentioned, you know, for SMEs around, for example, being able to retain key talent with, for example, share schemes, RSU schemes, the, the KEEP scheme that was introduced a number of years ago, which unfortunately just doesn't appear to be, you know, there hasn't been much uptake on it because it's not very operable from a practical perspective. So SMEs need that, um, they need certainty around that, so they do. The other thing as well is to increase investment for SMEs. You know, I, I, above any time, uh, the cost of running businesses, they need more investment. And like Ireland has uh, an EIS regime to allow in, um, taxpayers obtain tax free for investing in businesses I think we need to take a look at those rules and uh, I suppose again try to simplify them and broaden the base in which uh, you know investors can apply or qualify for those rules so there are some of the factors that certainly uh, came out of the whole process around what needs to be done for SMEs in Ireland 
And I mean, is it a case that we have a lot of the schemes in place, but they just need to be improved and tweaked? Because I know the Institute over the years and um, pre-budget submissions and so on has made various points about, you know, CGT and, um, and, and other incentives. So is it a case of really just improving and making them as good as they can be? Or is it a case of that we need more uh, measures to, uh, to help SMEs? Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say we do have a number of measures in place, but I, I think we need to make them a little bit more operable and accessible for SMEs. Like take the KEEP scheme, take EIS, take the Entrepreneur's Relief. A lot of these schemes are just so restrictive, you know. And like, for example, take the R&D tax credit regime. We should be increasing the rate of R&D tax credit to 30%, for example, and to 50% for anyone investing in green technology. Because there's a huge green uh, economy that needs to be focused on over the coming years. And obviously, there's going to be a cost to the exchequer in addressing that. So like, I, I do think there needs to be some further engagement with practitioners, uh, with industry bodies and the revenue, obviously, to try and make these reliefs a little bit more accessible to SMEs. And Lucinda, one theme uh, that, that, that comes across throughout the submission is uh, the personal tax base and it being too narrow. And, and as the uh, submission says, you know, spreading the burden according to means would lighten the load on middle income earners. Uh, you know, an interesting point, but one that is somewhat controversial. How palatable would a measure like this be politically? I think I think it's safe to say not palatable at all. Um, and in fact, you know, I suppose that the, the, the only time in my kind of lifetime that I can recall where um, the state rapidly um, broadened the tax base was during the financial crisis. Um, and it was possible then because we were in a in a in a crisis and, um, you know, the, the public finances were uh, effectively crumbling um, and people were prepared in the short term to take that pain. Um, but actually, ever since the economy started to recover, um, we saw the narrowing of the tax base again, arguably without a huge clamour for um, for. for the last government to do it uh, but they did um, and that I think will be very difficult to undo so um, I think you know there there are tweaks that that can and probably will happen uh, around personal taxation I think increasing the threshold um, is something that has happened in the last few budgets and will continue to happen um, but you know I, I just don't see politically um, how how any government, frankly, at the moment would be would be willing uh, to take the risk of um, of broadening the tax base. And actually, you know, we talk about, you know, we're constantly talking about Scandinavia and the Nordic countries as a sort of benchmark and the sort of gold standard in terms of um, the, the, the social model and social and uh, social services that we should aspire to. But actually, our our our, our income tax base um, at the at the medium and lower income level is much much narrower. I think uh, around sixteen percent in Ireland versus twenty five percent in the rest of Europe, and higher again in uh, in Scandinavia. There is absolutely no prospect of us uh, going down that route. We have a what is described as a very very progressive taxation system. So. Uh, those at the top are taxed the highest um, uh, and dramatically more so uh, than in other European countries. Um, uh, and I just don't think that's going to, to change at all. There's no political appetite for that. 
uh, Donal, with that in mind, what 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 are, the, are some of the other ways that might uh, be worth you know considering in terms of raising tax revenue for government? Are there any uh, more straightforward ways uh, into into raising revenue? Well, none of them are very popular, so that's the first thing to say. <clears throat> I think Lucinda is right, and say you take Denmark, someone on two thirds of average earnings, single person, pays twice as much tax in Denmark as they do here. Um, we tried that with the USC, but we took more and more people out of the tax net. Now, it seems to me if we're going to deal with the issue, which is that too many people get into the high rate of income tax too quickly, we're going to have to raise significant money elsewhere. And what are the, uh, there are no easy options politically. Um, first one I think I'd look at is the PRSI. The Pensions Commission has come up with a range of recommendations to extend PRSI to pensioners who are exempt at the moment. Older people pay significantly less tax in Ireland than younger people. So there's some scope there. Uh, <clears throat> the big one, I think, uh, which is politically the least challenging is the VAT system. We have the one of the narrowest VAT bases in Europe, uh, as the European Commission keep pointing out. And you can raise very significant amounts of money very quickly. For example, a 1% increase in VAT rates would give you nearly 700 million now, if you if you did that, say you you um, increased property tax by one and a half times, you'd have a lot more opposition to that than actually one percent on the VAT rate, and that seems to me to be the the big scope there is for raising substantial um, amounts of revenue with less political difficulty. We should remember, by the way, that the back in nineteen eighty five, that the standard rate of VAT was thirty five percent, is now twenty three. So we, we actually have, there's lots of space to go into territory we were in before. That, I think, is the big option myself. And Brian, uh, the, the whole idea of um, making too many dramatic changes to personal tax and income tax is obviously a quite controversial area. But you did mention earlier in the conversation that uh, the change in the global tax rate, we would have to look at other ways of competing internationally now. Does that change perhaps the conversation a little bit that if we want to be appealing uh, to FDI um, and international workers that we have to, it's not like it maybe was some years ago, maybe we have to look at how, you know, our progressive tax system and how quickly people hit the marginal rate. Yeah, no, we definitely do. Like, you know, you know, even, you know, prior to the implementation of these BEPS measures, uh, your know, competition for foreign direct investment was always pretty high. And uh, to be fair, Ireland has done very well. Um, however, now with, you know, the new BEPS 2.0 project that's coming out, it's going to even make that, a, that's going to be even more challenging. And one of the things definitely that people will be looking at is the cost of employment. Uh, you know, the the availability of release, like for example, we have a SARP regime here um, for attracting, I suppose, highly skilled uh, employees from, you know, foreign countries into Ireland. I, I think that the rules on that needs to be amended to make it even more attractive because it's too restrictive at the moment. And it actually does and uh, compete well with uh, other competing economies, for example. The other one as well um, that uh, we, you know, one needs to look at, it, like housing is another factor. Like, you know, when people are looking at locating business here, there'll be things they'll be looking at, housing, schools, and obviously highly skilled talent. And like, the thing is, uh, given how mobile some of these businesses are, and the fact that we have the UK competing, we have other European territories competing for a lot of this business, you know, I think it's more important than ever that Ireland remain as attractive as possible from, you know, be it from a corporate tax perspective, but also from an income tax perspective. And there are some recommendations in relation 
to housing uh, in, in the submission as well. Um, just, uh, you know, a clearer strategy to deal with it and, you know, how attract, we might attract investors um, into the housing market. So there is potentially a role of, t- of, of tax in the, in, in the housing issue as well. There, there is, yeah. I oh, know there, there definitely is. Uh, but obviously, you know, we do need, a, I suppose, a better strategy than what we have at the moment. And like, obviously, OK, you know, there was a big downturn there at the time of the economic crash back in 2008, 2009. And, you know, housing has stalled for a number of years. And, uh, you know, we are kind of are suffering the consequences of that now because there's such a shortfall of properties and the prices, you know, compared to our, you know, uh, European neighbours or other OECD countries is far in excess um, of uh, house prices in those countries. So tax certainly has a role to play, um, but it's something that does need a clear strategy going forward. Wealth tax is another one that pops up from time to time. Um, it's something that gets quite a lot of headlines anytime it's, it's, it's mentioned. Donald, is that um, a, an answer to any of this? Is it a realistic uh, proposition? <coughs> Uh, uh, the short answer is no. We had a wealth tax in 1975, between 1975 and 1978. And anybody who thinks it's a good idea should read the ESRI report by Cedric Sanford and Oliver Morrissey. It was uh, the maximum of compliance cost for the minimum of revenue. In other words, if you want to, so it's a completely, um, there's a much better way of taxing capital than than uh, through a wealth tax. It's uh, you know, you can do you can do it through gifts and inheritances. We have actually have quite a big wealth tax in this country uh, in the property tax, because the major form of wealth is property. Uh, so that's just, we also have a, a hidden wealth tax in the the non-indexation for capital gains tax purposes. That's a a two percent inflation. That's a 06 percent annual wealth tax. So an awful lot of the you're not going to, no matter what you do, no country gets significant amounts of money from a wealth tax. It's much more a an ideological issue than a real revenue issue, it seems to me. Would you would you share that view, Lucinda? Um, yes, I would. And I suppose the, the most recent um, uh, aborted attempt to introduce a wealth tax in Europe was in France, uh, uh, in the well towards the tail end of the of the financial crisis, and all it did was cause um, a lot of wealthy wealthy individuals to migrate their assets and their capital. Uh, out of out of that country um and um you know it certainly didn't achieve the objective as donald has said in terms of raising revenues and just made it made france a less attractive place to invest um as well so it actually was counterproductive um i think um i think i mean given the fact that ireland already has the most progressive uh, uh, personal taxation sy- uh, system um, in Europe. Um, I think there's limited scope to sort of target um, high income earners any more than they are, because all that that will lead to is um, more people going offshore. Um, and obviously, there are plenty of very high profile individuals who uh, are already um, non tax resident in Ireland in order to avoid paying income tax. And I think that the last thing you want is for, for, for more of that to happen. So you have to strike a balance. Um, and I do, I do think um, property tax, I mean, nobody, I think as we probably all agree, nobody wants to pay more taxes. But if you look at the LP, LPT, um, the government did manage, with much controversy, did manage to introduce it. Um, but when, when, uh, when they moved to increase and the LPT rates this uh, last year in in June twenty one, um, 
they did so without a whole lot of fuss, quite frankly. You know, so the fact that the tax already existed, um, increasing it um, slightly wasn't wasn't all that controversial. And it, I think it's projected to raise about 560 million euro, that, that slight increase in LPT. Um, so, you know, it does generate a, a reasonable amount of revenue um, and, you know, small, small increases um, from time to time can clearly achieve that objective as well. And, you know, I mean, uh, property is obviously, um, as Donald has said, is, is, um, is a very obvious way for people to accumulate wealth. Um, so it makes a lot of sense, um, even though it's often unpalatable. Uh, Brian, we've had record tax receipts in recent years. Uh, how sustainable do you think they are? And again, what 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 does that mean for our, our tax strategy as a country for the next few years? Um, yeah, good question, Samantha. Like we have had unprecedented levels of tax receipts over the last number of years. Uh, obviously, as Donald mentioned. The whole implementation of the BEPS 2.0 project will potentially have um, an impact, obviously, pillar one in terms of the reallocation of taxable profits to other countries uh, in the digitization economy. Um, obviously, that does need to be factored against the, you know, the fact that we, for a lot of these large multinationals, their rate of corporate tax will increase from 12.5% to 15%. So there is somewhat of a counterbalance there. But how sustainable they are, um, you know, that's challenging to see how we can do that. Like, I, I think the key thing to try and maintain the sustainability is to ensure that Ireland remains a competitive territory to for people, for corporate Operations to set their business up for us to tra- attract and retain key talent. Uh, to me, that that is one of the key pillars for us to try and retain. Uh, I suppose the sustainability of our our tax receipts. And as you know, Donald clearly highlighted at the outset, there is a number of increasing expenditures the country is going to have to deal with going forward. So we are going to have to look at ways to ha- at how we pay those. And I think having a prospering economy where we've high employment, uh, a lot of businesses operating from here, I think is the key way to pay that going forward for us. So just in relation to the um, environment and the decarbonisation of the economy, that's another uh, financial potential headwind for the government as fuel receipts, uh, excise duty all starts to taper off, presumably if, if everything goes to plan. Is that something that's going to have another impact on the the, the government, the, the exchequer finances? I, I Yeah, I, I think it's inevitable there is going to be an impact because if you look at you know, uh, the fuel taxes, where, where we're going to go as an economy from a decarbonisation perspective, um, you know, there's bound to be an impact. Take the VRT, for example, on motor vehicles. Um, so I think we need to look at different ways to try and replace those tax revenues, essentially. And I think, as, as I mentioned uh, a few moments ago, one way of looking at that is to try and have a prospering economy with uh, full employment and a number of businesses operating from here. Uh, we've uh, Donald, you know this. We've had other commissions <laughs> uh, in the past, uh, and you've been involved in in, in the in the eighties, as as you mentioned in the at the beginning of this. Um, there's going to be a lot of work going into this. There's some very well thought out uh, points being made uh, throughout the submission. How likely is it that we will see some of these being implemented, and and how quickly? We should probably see some of them implemented quite quickly, but you know, are you? Would you be confident that we'll see some change as a result of this process? This is the fourth commission on taxation. The first one in 1960 recommended the the introduction of PAYE, and the second one in the 1980s that I was associated with. A lot of it didn't get implemented, but one major thing did get implemented, which is the move to self-assessment. And 
so it doesn't it doesn't happen quickly in my experience you know um i think i've been involved in a number of reports to government and sometimes they're implemented and sometimes they're not and sometimes they're ha- partially implemented there is going to be a big political challenge um in in sort of addressing the issues that we face there's some very difficult choices to be made and i think part of the job of the commission is to try and prepare the public for you know <clears throat> say there're no soft options for example um one of the big issues is the cost of aging right more and more people are reaching pension age <clears throat> now we have a choice we can keep the pension age as it is and it's going to cost us more or we can put up the pension age but try and bringing out to people the choices involved in these issues i think is a way of making some progress but i wouldn't be um if i were the chairman of of this commission i wouldn't expect my uh, recommendations to be implemented in the first 6 months based on my experience and and Lucinda, from your perspective we mentioned earlier about um the personal tax base being too narrow and that potentially being changing that being unpalatable Probably a lot of tax measures are not going to win you lots of votes. But what's your thoughts on how likely it is to see, you know, some quite considerable change that's been proposed here actually being implemented? Um, yeah, I look, uh, I mean, uh, it's it, uh, with taxation, it's probably a case of better the devil, you know. I mean, people don't like change um, and, uh, of course, will resist new taxes. Um and I mean, often with good cause. I mean, you know, new taxation is often, you know, a further layer of bureaucracy, often stifles innovation. So, you know, um, as Brian has, I think, very well outlined, um, you know, we are an open economy and, you know, our whole success as a country has been predicate, predicated on having a very competitive, very appealing um, tax environment. So, you know, we have to protect and preserve that while, meeting the challenges that lie ahead. Um, I think the pension age is is an obvious one. It hasn't changed. Um, and, you know, we are living longer. We're living longer, healthier lives, thankfully. And it's just not sustainable um, that, um, you know, we carry on as if, um, as if, you know, we're sort of living in an era that, that you know, uh, ended 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and often, you know, it, there's an irony in this as well, that, you know, we have had people, um, public servants, suing the state because they want to work longer and aren't allowed. But yet when the government tried to make a, a very minor uh, change to the pension age um, before the last election, there was, you know, there were practically riots on the streets um, and obviously huge political capital made uh, about it by opposition parties. Um, and that's just not, I mean, that's just not sustainable. I, I really, I, I agree with Donald. I think it is one area where there's going to have to be change um, because you can't have um, an ever diminishing um, proportionately younger population um, uh, supporting um, an older population and that's not to say and I understand all the arguments that people have worked all their lives they've contributed they've paid taxes we all get that but we are living longer healthier lives thank god and um, that has to be paid for and it I think inevitably means that people will have to work longer and many of us will relish that prospect you know um, but there's obviously very sensitive political messaging um, that has to occur around that and probably some degree of political consensus it's very difficult for governments to do that while you have you know opposition parties who for for obvious populist reasons will will oppose any change that just can't continue 
Brian, one theme that uh, runs through the uh, submission from the Institute is how how much better it would be if the tax system was simplified and, and just made more efficient. Is that something that, you know, is, is, is a clear is a clear um, requirement that would improve things? And is it something, you know, maybe simplifying it is actually quite a complicated thing to do, but is it something that uh, would make, make it make a difference to, to your clients? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like the one thing that people like, um, and particularly, you know, foreign direct investment coming into Ireland is certainty. And that's one thing Ireland has really, really excelled on over the last number of years. You know, we have an open, transparent tax system and always have had. It's not like other countries where, you know, if you want to do something, you have to go and get a ruling and get it blessed by the tax authorities. In Ireland, we set the law and the law applies as you interpret the law to your particular scenario. It, it, you know, so going forward, uh, one of the things certainly, um, and we addressed this in the consultation, our response to the consultation, one thing we'd love to see is an ongoing consultation process between Revenue Department of Finance and practitioners and industry representatives. Like, for example, there's been a raft of new uh, legislation introduced into Irish tax law. Like, you know, um, take, for example, we've at the KGB, we've had anti-hybrid rules, we've had interest limitation rules. And one of the things that the Department of Finance and Revenue have done is they've had an ongoing consultation process with practitioners and industry representatives, which is really, really important in getting the legislation right because with the way our legislation legislative process works at the moment is that sometimes it's october before you see the first piece of legislation in the finance bill and because it's basically rammed through the dawn in such a short period i.e it gets signed into law before christmas there's not enough time to make changes and then revenue are trying to deal with amendments and changes through various briefings in that which there's an argument there is it law is it not law so one of the things definitely we'd like to see is more ongoing consultation because what you're going to have is a legislation that's going to be implemented and enacted that's fit for purpose uh, and that, that's going to be hugely important the other thing we would like to see is a little bit more of simplification for example for smes like the compliance process from a corporate tax on a vat perspective is very burdensome for smes like it's one thing for you know large multinationals they deal with it in multiple countries they've got large teams that just deal with compliance every day they can deal with that but for smes it, it, it's it's very challenging for them and um, the other thing on the compliance process as well is i'd like to see an acceleration of refunds uh, particularly for smes they've had a very 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 challenging last two years and in fair to, to revenue they've been they've been very very good at uh, accelerating the processing of say vat refunds or payroll tax refunds whatever it is to them again we'd like to see that on a more regular basis for rd tax credits for vat etc because that's all cash flow and that's what these businesses need and in a time when inflation is so high their costs like energy costs they're all increasing so that's going to be important for cash flow um, the final thing then uh, that I would mention from a compliance perspective is around a tax advocate. It's something we've been, you know, I suppose advocating for, uh, pardon the pun, with the Institute for a number of years. We'd love to see a tax advocate uh, to try and deal with any disputes between revenue and taxpayers because the, the, far too often now things are just been pushed into the appeals process and it just clogs up the system, holds things up for many, many years. And the thing is, for a lot of businesses, particularly SMEs, they can't afford, you know, the cost of employing a barrister to fight a case in front of the appeal commissioners may be too burdensome compared to the amount of taxes at stake and they end up just paying it. And I think we need to have a level playing field for taxpayers and, and revenue at the end of the day. 
Okay, well, on that point, uh, we leave it there. Certainly a fascinating background to uh, this current commission between our global tax rate, the pandemic, war in Ukraine. So some very big decisions to be made, hopefully. So that's it for this episode of Tax Talk. Thank you for joining us.